only 20 minutes of apologizing. <laughs> Next on What's Your Thesis. <laughs> Definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. What's my thesis? What's my thesis? What's my thesis? Um, I, I'm wondering if it might be fun to take a little dip into the history of playgrounds. Absolutely. Would that be fun for yeah, you? Because I'm, I'm thinking like, um, they weren't always rubbery. No, they sure weren't. Uh, <laughs> that is a recent development in the yeah. last, uh, 30 years or so. 30? Only 30? No, maybe 40, but. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is kind of an obvious statement, but. Playgrounds for children used to be the outdoors. Yeah. Right? I mean... I mean, that's how I grew up. Yeah. yeah. Although, there were some pretty cool playgrounds in the area, too. Like, there were, there were um, some skating rinks every, like, few parks. So, it was, it was pretty idyllic. But then we also had castles that we could play in and search, so... Um, was this, the... I, I think adventure uh-huh. might also be part of my play type. <laughs> if you know that's what? one yeah. of those. There is, there's one called the Explorer. The Explorer. Yes. We did a lot of exploring mm-hmm. back in the day in mm-hmm. the fields behind my house. There was a castle. I'll show you a picture. There's a castle and then they used to walk sheep over there. So it was this like suburban neighborhood, but with, um, buildings like apartment complexes and they all looked the same they all they all were so it was like a suburban would you imagine a suburban neighborhood with all the same houses but instead of all the same houses it's all the same building with the same yard next to it wow and then behind us there was all this area that was like fenced off but there were always holes in the fence and there were like ways around it and we would go out back there, and so I have, uh, I have, I had a birthday party when I was young. I don't remember how old I was. It was probably like six or seven ish. Just imagine, just thinking back on how wild it was. Um, and we lived on the first floor, and there were shoes being thrown off. Uh, and then we went on an adventure walk back there. And when I first moved to LA, I met up with someone from back then. And he remembered that birthday party. <laughs> wow. And you reminisced. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, that shit. He was like, yeah, that was epic. It was so memorable. <laughs> oh, my God. So I was like, yeah, I threw a good party back when I was six. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I definitely explore on my part. But yeah. So I can what, see that in you. Yeah. But, um, but what, uh, what, what do you have to tell me about uh, different, different playgrounds? Yeah, so uh, what you're describing, I mean, I assume that you were playing in the early early to mid-80s? Yes. Okay. Um, you're describing a really interesting era in, in the history of playgrounds, and um, it sounds like you were in a city where you had the opportunity to explore more of the quote-unquote quote wilderness um, or, you know, the rural landscape. 
Um, we also uh, <clears throat> we also had a BMX track. Oh, <laughs> I see. And an archery range. Oh my! Privilege. Where the fuck did you grow? <laughs> In Eur, Ponte Meravigliosa. Oh my god! Children Marvelous fountain. Treated like princes and princesses. Yeah, it was kind of fucking ridiculous. That's pretty badass. <laughs> so I mean, as like this is prior to that era right so before <laughs> before playgrounds were built children would just be let loose and they would run around the countryside uh-huh. and do whatever the hell they wanted right yeah uh and there's good things and bad things about that um stranger danger being yeah. one of them. <laughs> well yeah, that concept didn't. It actually didn't really come into cultural consciousness until the late seventies. Yeah, um, but it's that's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing. Yeah, uh, you know, I I've been trained as a as a psychotherapist, and I had to take a class on um, a child maltreatment and uh, and abuse. Yeah, and one of the things that we learned is that. Um, Strangers abusing children sexually <laughs> only not... accounts for about 10 to 12% yeah. of all incidents, yeah. right? It's usually family or friends of family that appear to be trusted, but actually aren't. So even kidnappings and all of that. Yeah. Inclu- I mean, including everything, everything. Wow. Everything. So that's such an interesting thing. I'd mm-hmm. never even fucking thought of that. Yeah. It, it the, the reason stranger danger it was such a was such a big deal is because there were a, a few key kidnapping cases yeah. in the late seventies that the media just went apeshit over, wow. and the whole country kind of listened to that. I think, and it created this culture of fear around you know rape vans and offering candy to children and you know all of that stuff. We're we're lightly. Uh, dipping our toe into one of my interests, which is true crime, and I'm trying to <laughs> contain oh, myself boy. to not fucking yeah. make this a true crime episode. Oh boy! But yeah, no, that's fascinating though. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, but I I have heard that before. That mm-hmm. a lot of I mean, I don't get excited about kids getting murdered, but <laughs> yeah, it's super but those, rare. I think, and, and that's an interesting thing: the discomfort that true crime makes you feel. <clears throat> I, I think. Part of the charm of that is that it makes you feel something. <laughs> you can't be neutral. Yeah, as opposed to just like not listening to anything. Mm. And it reminds me a little of uh, um, Why Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, mm. which is the Blade Runner uh, novel by Philip K. Dick. And he, uh, in it, there like his wife gets addicted. She has this thing called a mood organ, and she gets addicted to depression. And it's like, ah, oh, it's so interesting because it, like, Chemically, it can be addictive. Oh you yeah, know, those those the 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 that, and that's why it's so um, so like it's a self fulfilling cycle where mm-hmm. like you just like you you get comfortable in feeling absolutely like, terrible. But I, anyway, I saw a client recently um, who's a teenager, and she uh, I asked her if she was ready to make some changes to move away from her anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And she really vulnerably and honestly said, no, yeah. I'm not. No, because it's what you know. Yeah. It's it's the known universe, yeah. right? Familiarity mm-hmm. counts for a lot. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. And, and, and that really ties back to what I was pointing to at the beginning, this foundation of, you know, how do we create for ourselves a, a, a foundation of safety? 
that allows us to take appropriate risks. You know, what is the balance in a human life between comfort and exploration? Yeah. Because we have to have both. We can't be, we can be fully explorers and, and live at the edge of our seats. No, but there needs to be some stability. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. There's some who are more exploratory than others who are more risk, risk taking than others, you know, and who feel comfortable in that space. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that that, that question, uh, not only does it tie back to child development and, and how children should be raised, uh-huh. um, but it, it also connects to us as adults. And, you know, wait, how, do I, how do I choose? How do I make decisions, yeah. big and small, in my life? No, definitely. Mm. That all plays out. Well, I mean, it's understated how much you're learning about how to make decisions because you're making decisions on a daily basis when you're that age. And what the response is to those decisions is probably going to dictate to whether you make that decision again, right? <laughs> it's so true, right? The, the, the child is in relation to this giant human being yeah. who has all the power and who, when they're angry, can be incredibly terrifying yes. to a small human yeah, and and hum and small humans get or well, no, I want to make sure people don't think I'm talking about little people. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, children, children are very easily scared. Yes, that's so true. <laughs> so any flare, like the most, it doesn't like you're not. Uh, I'm pointing out that you're not talking about like the most extreme outbursts of anger. Right. Just, just they get they catch on to vibes. Mm-hmm. They're know? most children are very sensitive. Yeah. They're, they're very attuned to their caretakers because these caretakers are their entire lives. Yeah. And um, we don't, children don't realize that they don't have the tools for processing this stuff. They don't usually have the awareness of, of what's going on because they're children. But like I said earlier, these patterns and beliefs are laid down at a very early age. Yeah. You know, a parent like freaks out when a kid... Uh, touches his penis, for instance, yeah. right? And suddenly that kid gets this message experientially that you do not touch your penis, at least in public or when your mother is watching or yeah, yeah. that it's wrong or, you know, and then shame becomes incorporated exactly. with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. just a, maybe a more extreme example of No, but beliefs. that, I mean, well, the reason that I cracked the smile when you brought that up was not because I think you're a creep, but, but because I thought, I, I thought uh, or not that I think anyone would think you're a creep. Um, I thought of, like, the shame that, well, I'm still stuck on true crime right now. <laughs> but the, the... Bring it. The shame that, uh, that like... These people, you know, I forget um, what their names are, but the guys, there's one, there's a couple guys in particular that were into shoes. I think Jerry Boudros was one of them. And like the shame that they felt, um, that's how powerful that is. The shame that they feel yes. over that is tied into what ends up fucking them up in the big, I mean, they're already fucked up a little bit to begin with or mm-hmm. a lot of bit to begin with, mm-hmm. but then that's how those how intense those thi- intensely those things play out as they get older, right? Right. It, you know, it reminds me of, of what we were talking about Ed earlier. Kemper. Jerry Ed, Boudreaux. Oh, yes. Jerry Boudreaux and Ed Kemper are both Ed ones Kemper. that I remember specifically. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it, it's, it reminds me of what we were talking about earlier around stuffing emotions down. Yes. Right. <clears throat> when we, when we have a desire, when we have, um, an impulse or there's a part of ourself that, um, it wants to come out, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pushed down either yeah. by, um, caretakers or by ourselves informed via caretakers, then it doesn't go away. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's always, it's always there. Sometimes it's latent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at some point that energy, that desire needs to, to come forward. Yeah. You know, a big, a big part of psychotherapy is teaching people to be okay with, uh, the things that they've been pushing down yeah. for years. No. And that, and that's where that becomes so difficult. And that's why that block is so important. Yes. You know, and it's funny that you taught that immediately you talked in terms of blocking, because I do think that like, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that have, uh, talked about just the idea that performing your daily tasks, you can be an artist if you give it enough reverence and whatnot. And I think that that may be something that, people resent in culture now, but it's coming back in the sense of like people making artisan bread and, and putting care into these things that, um, that maybe seem like, cause that's sort of the same attitude that artists gets like, well, you can just have a machine make that, you know, but like, no, but there's like a tradition, you know, and unfortunately it makes me think of the, uh, Tom Cruise movie, uh, the, um, the last samurai, which is like (laughs) problematic on so many fucking levels. But one of the things that I remember from that movie is just the, the obsession or not obsession, the reverence with which people put into their tasks, uh, that was maybe not accurate because who knows if that was culturally accurate, (laughs) but on, in that Westernized version, it, uh, it, you know, it seemed mystic and <laughs> as we often make it. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the exotic exoticism yeah. of the East, right? Yeah. Of the foreign of the other. Yeah. That we, we participate in and I'm sure that the East participates in. For well, the West I mean, too. we bombard them with fucking movies. Oh, so. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that there are worse things than, uh, than all of Shitty the entertainment. Well, the, the, I think that it's uh, I think that you might be a Philistine if you're shitting on uh, all the action movies that come out. <laughs> I think to deny that to deny that there's an art form there, maybe it's not for you. You know, like maybe <laughs> you don't like to go to art walks and and see arts and crafts. But it's still an art, you know? <laughs> it is, yeah. I, I think that I shit on it, and I'm a Philistine to that art form because it really goes against my value system. Okay. It's the, the, threatening to my value system. The comic books? Not comic books. I mean, Just ac- action, action films. Violence. Yeah, violence and, um, and this dramatization and hypermasculinity uh-huh. and a certain type of uh, femininity that's presented in action yeah, films, yeah. right? It's it, it's uh, it's so bifurcated. Yes, uh, 
I, 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 and, and I do want, and I appreciate that. And I would say that there's a distinction between a Michael Bay movie <laughs> with a problematic eth- uh, urban sounding robot Fair. And, and something that I would be into. <laughs> fair, very fair. <laughs> but yes, you are a Philistine about those movies. <laughs> and you just showed your ignorance. You fool! <laughs> I'm walking out right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you, you don't know about action movies. Get out of here. You have an hour and 37 minutes and that's enough. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Well, here, let me get on mic. Yeah, I mean, essentially, like, this show is a form of play, right? It's like a form of... Oh, yeah. I mean, I call it intellectual masturbation, but a less graphic way to describe it would be to say that we're playing with our minds, right? Absolutely. We're so, exchanging ideas. We're it's a we're studio bantering. Visit. Yeah, bantering. Yeah, it's studio totally a visit. studio visit. It's, yeah. it's like we're just not looking at art. We're just looking at ideas. Mm-hmm. But yeah. go ahead. I wanted to go back to the history of playgrounds. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because it's interesting history, and um, it sort of informs also the way that I think. <laughs> Was there a Henry Ford tycoon type in this narrative? <laughs> we'll make them. Who cares if they get hurt on them? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah, in a way. I'm sorry, they're, they're I put was. you off track no, to make a joke. No, was, I will, I, well, what I was going to say is that there, there is a connection to uh, the history of playgrounds and the way that education has been structured in the last okay. 150 years or so. And um, that's of special interest to me because, you know, I was an educator for many, many years. Yeah. And I think the system of education as standardized in the United States is incredibly fucked up. Yeah. Um, Which is not a... uh, inflammatory or surprising statement to make because most you people rebel. I know right most <laughs> people would agree who are listening to this podcast especially um but you so, don't know we're big in Texas oh my god listen to this so <laughs> i education is so important to me because it is setting a, another kind of foundation for well, it's children a, it's definitely a cultural foundation it's a cultural foundation yeah. that that is that is teaching children a, a certain way of being in the world. Yeah. Right. And it's based on a really old model of how things are put together. You know, you mentioned Henry Ford mm-hmm. and the Industrial Revolution, uh, yeah. and the, the factor is fact factory. Or factorification. 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 I, that's, I, we're both wrong. Yeah, we are. <laughs> that, but, that know, neither of those can be right. <laughs> assembly line mentality yeah, yeah, yeah. applied to the rows of desks, the teacher who is the master, yeah. telling kids what they need to memorize, right? That's still essentially the model. And it, it's been outdated. It's been called outdated for oh. our entire lives. Oh, like, totally. Since we were kids, like people were, have been commenting on how what we need to learn is how to learn. Yes. Instead of, you know, and how to get to information uh-huh. instead of, you know, so yeah, this is like... It's not new, yeah. but it's shocking to me that not no. much change has yeah. been made. Well, yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a reason for that, right? <laughs> there is. <laughs> it's often political. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So uh, the reason I'm passionate about education is because, you know, the first, the first, uh, the first uh, few years for children, you know, one to five, for instance, is dictated by the family Yeah. and really strong patterns and ways of understanding the world are established at that time. But after that, uh, there's another layer added, you Mm. know, this, this enculturation, this, this culture of education, which if they're going to a traditional public school in the United States is about the teacher being the head of the class, right? The desks all face forward. They have to memorize things. It's about really, uh, standardized history and uh, how to do things properly. Essentially, education right now is preparing children uh, for how to be good workers in the world. But it's workers from the early 20th century, right? It's workers for jobs that don't exist. It's workers for jobs that don't exist. They're basically walking off a plank. Yes. A treadmill plank. And then suddenly when they exit school, maybe in college, but maybe after college, Suddenly it's like, oh, wow, the world is way more complex and complicated. And do you remember how complex it was when we graduated high school? It's like exponentially more complex. Yes. I don't know how the fuck they do it, man. I don't either. I'm so glad I don't have children right now. Oh, damn. Yeah, no, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. So the history of playgrounds... As I mentioned earlier, then this all connects together. Yeah, so I trust you. Great, thank you. I'm <laughs> glad you trust me. It, it goes back, uh, you know, to kids running around in fields, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, American colonialism through, uh, <laughs> right, this uh, 17th century through. Oh, you find colonialism funny, huh? Uh, okay. <laughs> no, no. no, I'm giving you shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, look at where this is going. Uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I can I can colonialize your ass any day. I, I haven't called you out for being white once, and you were talking about the Central Valley in Texas, and I'm so proud of myself. You know what? I owe you a lot, Javi. Thank you. Thank you. And you thought I was white. I'm a fucking bastard. No, it's, it's true. No, but it's it it doesn't hurt me when it comes from you. But no, no, it really doesn't. But it it just it really validates the fact that people do not realize the difference in experience that we have. Like and and you've never you've never offended me. You've never been microaggressive to me. But um, but hearing you say that is like, oh, yeah, that's right. People are not with me all day and they don't see the things that people say to me <laughs> and they don't see the reactions that I get, you know. Uh. And so but no, but like but and you said it perfectly because you were like, oh, that's my white privilege. I'm like, yeah, you, you get it. So that's the difference between you and, and other people. You were like immediately you were like, oh, shit, like I'm I'm white privilege because I thought that you were white. No, it's <laughs> yeah. I I have a pretty good. good concept. No, no, I, I don't need to explain myself, <laughs> yeah, but I really do have a, a a strong concept of how privileged I am. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. In but like, you also you've also had ways. But then again, you've also suffered some oppressions. Absolutely. Of uh, in terms of like As every human uh, has. Yes, but you've specifically dealt with some religious ones that are pretty intense because like if you grow up in in an, in a specific religion 
that is a form of oppression, which is essentially what we're talking about, which is probably why this resonates. Oh, I just made a connection. <laughs> What's a connection? Tell me. <laughs> that this, that's why you care about all this stuff, because, you know, developmentally, you may have uh, yes. not been the play types that you wish you were. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. You bastard. You should get an MFT. You really should. Okay. Yeah. Well, well this is a very intimate space. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And a fun space, too. Thank playful. You. Playful space. Yes, right? yes. I, you know... <laughs> oh, my God. I totally forgot what I was going to say. Cut that out. You were, you. No, you're fine. You're talking about... I'm sorry. I keep digressing you. Um, you were talking about the history of playgrounds and how there is... Um, I know what I want to say. Okay, go ahead. It, so you're right about oppression, right? Religious oppression is, is real. Um, I, it's... it's like, I'm not trying to compare oppressions. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, like, I have a lot of privilege, and I know that I have way more privilege than um, a lot of other people. Yeah. Oh, I'm the most privileged brown person I know. <laughs> Go ahead. The other the other place of oppression that I just wanted to point out is, um, is a type of masculine oppression that's yeah. not often talked about. Yeah. And I know that there's some listeners right now who are, uh, like... You motherfucking asshole man, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that I'm privileged as a man over women. Yeah. I'm totally aware of that. And and there are privileges, uh, excuse me, there are oppressions that exist against men around how we experience emotion. Yeah. You know, the the depth of our feeling, yeah. how we're supposed to behave in culture. And, and just to cover for you, you acknowledge that those are not as intense, but yes. they're still somewhat. There's still there's validity in them, even though they are. You're not like woe is me. No, I'm yeah. not saying and that. And I've never known you to be that guy. Right. So so I want to cover for you. Thank but, you. But Appreciate you want to have a conversation about like yeah, I do think that boys right now are having a hard time of it. Like yeah. not adult men in their sixties that have been shitheads their whole life. Young boys. It's a very interesting time for them because masculinity is being challenged in this way mm-hmm. in the, that, that it is very much, very validly archaic, yes. the way that they are being brought up. And so there is some displacement there, and that is an interesting thing that's developing. And also what makes it an interesting conversation, and again, we're not, like, there's no comparison, but... Um, What's interesting is that the thing that defines the man, archaically, is uh, this idea of being a provider, and yes. that is is going away. The mm-hmm. the, the the ability for people to provide, period, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and again, that's not to say that it's not that that it's fair that women make less than men, but all of that shit is going away. It is, and I love... And so this generation is not... Sorry. It's all right. It, it, like, I fully agree with you. I, the, the provider one is a really powerful yeah. uh, mythology. Yeah. It, well, okay, it's not a mythology because it, it was the reality for a long fucking time, right? It, it, I would actually... I would, I would enlarge that term to just say the protector. Yeah. Um, but then there is something fucked up within that, which I don't want to go un- unacknowledged, which is... 
they were the providers. Like, I'm not saying like, woe is us. Like they were the providers because they were the only ones that could provide. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that were allowed societally to provide. Allowed to. So that's all, another form of oppression that needs to be acknowledged in this conversation. But yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I, fu- yeah, I fully yeah. agree with you. Yeah. But moving forward, that place is not going to be there, right? Like no one's going to be able to provide. It's shaky ground. Yeah. You know, I mean, it needs to happen. We need to question these, uh, these, these archetypes, these outdated modes of being masculine. Yeah. I'm so glad it's happening. And there's a, there's yeah. a, there's a residue there. There's going to be an impact, especially on um, young men who are in in the midst of forming their identities. Yeah. Right? It, there's going to be a lot of confusion. Yeah. There's going to be a lot and, of confusion. And and I do feel like. There has been a real sophistication in 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 youth because there's a lot less homophobia. Mm-hmm. You know, like like that that concept of what being a man is has been uh, has been evolving for a while, and and it's moving in a it, it, with the younger kids, not with the adults. Yes, <laughs> let's make the distinction. Millennials yes. uh-huh. seem to have a good grasp, and maybe they 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 get accused of going overboard in the, in terms of their PCness, but words fucking matter. Yes, they do fucking matter. I agree. They matter so goddamn much, mm-hmm. uh, and and like yeah, and and so so yeah, so. Uh, I have a lot of hope mm-hmm. in in the future of masculinity. Mm-hmm. I think we're talking more generationally about like people o- us and older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I so masculinity is a is a topic I care deeply about. It's yeah. really funny that we kind of showed up here. Um, yeah. No, be- I know. I, I like. Yeah, I, yeah. Because you are you care about it from the standpoint of being exemplary. Like you want to be the best version of masculine that you can, yes. but you don't want to deny yourself the fact that you're masculine. You don't also yes. you, you like, and so like, what's valid about being masculine, and what's what's been taught to you that's toxic? Exactly. Yeah, I know ta- you pretty well. I'm starting a, to realize. You really do. I, I I'm do. Impressed. Like, You've paid attention. Yeah, to you Thank over there, because this is like. I mean, we've had intense conversations before, yeah. but we've never sat down for like. And that's what I like about this. Me too. But yeah, I'm mm-hmm. starting to realize. Like, I know you pretty well. Yeah. So. I love a lot of the things that are happening with uh, the younger generation, especially around gender, gender fluidity yes. and questioning these binary concepts, right? If nothing for the, con- for the idea from, uh, from our standpoint of like, how great would it have been to grow up not having to worry yeah. about all that shit, yeah. you know, like yeah. as, as a privileged by being cisgendered, yes, exactly. <laughs> like the, the, like homophobia affected us in a very... Um, way that doesn't deserve a lot of sympathy, mm-hmm. but is representational of how hard. Like it, it gives, it helps us understand, have empathy for people that really were on the receiving end of that hatred, yeah. legitimately, or not that the hatred was legitimately, but were the actual targets of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas we were just. Our sexuality was questioned, and that yeah. shit was uncomfortable as fuck for us. So oh, can you totally. imagine if you turned out and you realized like. Oh, I'm completely gay. Like I'm the worst thing that everybody at school is saying. Mm. You know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm. I totally consider myself an ally uh, mm. in this regard. I have two roommates who they're a couple and they're gay, um, and I, I, I really, I can't fathom 
what homosexual people go through no. in this culture, right? Or or someone who is not cisgender or, you know, even it, it, being a woman. It's like, I, I, I know that I'm so privileged that I, I don't even have to really think about that. I, I have had experiences in my life where I get little glimpses of what that's like. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I was probably um, 11 years old and I was just fooling around with, uh, in the pool with my best friend. Fooling around meaning like we we're just swimming and jumping and yeah. just having fun. We both went underwater and um, we were like facing each other and I kissed him mm-hmm. on, the, on the lips underwater. And I did it out of this like pure joy and like love for him as a friend. It was mm-hmm. like, man, I just care so much about this person. I'm going to kiss him. Yeah. I didn't want to sleep with him. I wasn't attracted to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, I'm going to kiss you. Well, and then I don't know if your family was one of these, but some families kiss on the lips. And totally. so it's like, it, it has to do culture. It has to do with cultural norms. Yes. Like, you know, dads will kiss their sons on the lips depending right. on what family value or what family you're in. So again, it points to the ways that, that, that uh, the boundary. familial culture kind of builds the foundation of what's okay and what's yeah. not. Right. But of course, you know, I grew up in this fundamentalist Christian environment and he, oh. he was the same and we, that wasn't in... the best place to do that. Zach. No, no. <laughs> I, if um, you could reevaluate your decision-making back then, I, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> no, I, I know. I'm giving, I actually wouldn't I'm change doing it. A bit. Yeah, yeah. I know you are. But you know, he came up, we both came up and he was like sputtering and like wiping his lips and it just was like, you can't do this, Zach. You can't do that. That's gay. You can't. Oh, that's so fucking intense. Just, <laughs> I know. I felt. I felt shame because yeah. it was this moment of purity of like yeah. expression. How old of were you? Love. You probably weren't even like sexually aware. No, I was. I said I was eleven. I. It might have been closer to nine. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but eleven. You're really not there yet. No, no, I, I wasn't. No, like I didn't start 12, waking up sexually yeah. until twelve, thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have a calendar that reminds me of that, like some people. <laughs> Not you. you didn't I, mean, have a, I, I, you I, I was making a Kavanaugh <laughs> reference. Oh, there you go. Oh, I see. <laughs> Where he had a calendar. Oh. <laughs> but then that wasn't fair to you. So. I understand. Now I get it. Um, but yeah, so so what, uh, so what? now that we've done this... Uh, Obligatory. Yeah, like <laughs> where now I'm exhausted with ours because <laughs> we've overcompensated. Like, so tell me about how do you think that um, that that like because it is valid. I'm not, I want to say it's valid within the context of like it's small valid. <laughs> yeah, could you restate your question? I don't understand. So, so you were saying that ma- like the the issues with masculinity with being a child. These are valid things because men are also human beings. Yes. And we also I'm assuming that your stance isn't that they should be brought up to think that grabbing women inappropriately is okay. So we're clear to go. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, that's definitely not in my wheelhouse. No, I never thought that would be. I, so, um, to get, to get a bit on the personal side, I, I was raised in, um, in the eighties and the early nineties. And, um, even though I was from, Yeah, 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 you know, you know. Even though I was from a fundamentalist Christian family, there there were influences of feminism 
that had an impact, right, on on my upbringing. How did those seep in? I'm curious. Go well, ahead. Well, I think a lot of it had to do in um, the the demeanor of my father, and he's a he's a wonderful, wonderful, sympathetic, loving man, very mm. sensitive. But I, I I had only seen him become angry probably three or four times in my entire life. Those must have been very scary three or four times. Yeah. That's a good observation. Because <laughs> if you've never seen that before, it's then like, it's wait, what's like, this? Holy shit. <laughs> so what I, what I saw modeled was uh, a very, what, what I would call a passive man. These are my uh-huh. judgments, right? Yeah, yeah, Some yeah. other people might have a different perspective. And they, they might have had a different experience, not even just exactly. perspective. Because exactly. Your relationship, your dynamic with him is very different than everybody else's. Totally. My experience is that I learned how to be a sensitive, caring, very giving servant, a masculine servant of okay. sorts. And um, that has played out in my life in various ways. But in my, in my personal work, my personal development over mm-hmm. the last, I don't know, 12 years... What I have learned to accept into my life is a type of masculine edge, an, mm-hmm. an anger that is powerful mm-hmm. and a little dangerous mm-hmm. and has a purpose for existing. Okay. You know, th- there's a lot of talk about um, the, the different waves of feminism and mm-hmm. the backlash on masculinity and men not knowing how to react or how to behave, right? Because, you know, we can't be the super hyper-masculine man who's like abusing women and grabbing them and hitting them and telling them what to do, obviously, right? But it also doesn't really fit, at least for me, to be the sensitive artist who gets walked all over, who doesn't... And they don't want that either. Like, who wants to be with somebody that's submissive all the time and has no independence? Right, right. That's not... And I know we're we're talking about heteronormative relationships right now, but... I, I really think that that's true. But I think I think that's true of non-heteronormative relationships as well. Yes. No one wants to be yes. with someone they can walk over unless that is their thing. Right. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, as a therapist, it just signifies dysfunction. Yeah. Right? I mean, people like that get together all the time, and it lasts for however long it lasts, but it's not a good relationship. Well, it's not... It, yeah, it's not permanently fulfilling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, well, no, I mean, there can be, we're not excluding S&M relationships, right? Like, we're, like oh. or we are excluding S&M relationships from this conversation. We are. We're not saying that if you're, fi- like, we're, oh, God damn, there's so much work to be politically correct, but we do want to be that. But, but right. that's, an, that's exemplary of, of where men are right now. Like, we have to tread very lightly. But, yeah, but, but I think for us it's fair. I'm not saying it's yeah. unfair. No, no, no. I think, I'm just saying. I think for the moment. I think in the long run. Absolutely. The, the di- and I, it, we agree, obviously. But the dialogue will readjust itself where we know it what will. to when we know what to sell. But I don't have a problem with being apologetic. I know. I, I yes. Because I know how some well-intentioned white friends of mine mm-hmm. will step in it sometimes mm. and they don't mean the things that they say but they don't recognize that they've picked it up from culture so yes, yes. i don't have a problem with doing that although it does feel like it takes forever to get a point to a point <laughs> like yeah. i want to make my point and I'll, like, totally. i gotta say all this shit but yeah like obviously um 
We're not bad guys. <laughs> no. We don't think we're, rape is cool. We're, no. And we're trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know? No, but but definitely there it, it, it is an interesting moment culturally for men. Mm-hmm. And it is, I think, the biggest part of it and the reason that I am so, or and that we both are so cautious about what we say is that it's like, it's kind of like when the O.J. Simpson trial happened and every uh, all of, uh, and like the big thing was that like we realized like oh the system is kind of rigged and you know or mm-hmm. even the um the Rodney King beatings and all of those things like mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i was also young <laughs> so <laughs> so that was also <laughs> my first exposure to that shit yeah. period yeah. but i think the the narrative is that culturally that's one of the times that people realize like oh the system isn't really fair uh yes. and i think that we're culturally going through this really intense time and it's not invalid for men to be asking themselves like, who do we need to be now? Mm -hmm. Because it is a really important, it is a very, um, under like the whole nature of it is that it hasn't been discussed and that women have been afraid to discuss it. And, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty terrifying. I have, you know the Blasey Ford testimony days. I've never experienced feelings like that, um, of realization, of sympathy, of partial empathy, but not complete empathy. Obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but um, there are parallels that you can experience in life that you can maybe start to understand. Like, oh, this is really fucked up. For the sake of the edit, not sounding like uh, uh, we said no, no, not sounding like we had we said anything that needed to be cut out. I just you literally just had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so what I want to ask you is, and and what I want to say is that it is a valid question, and I think that it's a question on a lot of women's minds is the idea of how we go about raising healthy men mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. that that's kind of where we're trying to get to uh right all all apologizing aside and and i think that it is a scary time to be a young man yes um i think that it's unprecedented mm-hmm. and i think that's great the unprecedentedness of it is great mm-hmm. uh and i think that there has al- already been a trend towards um healthier masculinity Mm -hmm. Mm because i think just even acknowledging that there is such a thing as toxic masculinity right and and toxic masculinity has been something that has affected us oh yeah (laughs) as men as well Mm -hmm. not to the same extent again but um but yeah it's 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 not good for anybody same Mm -hmm. way that homophobia as we've covered is not good for anybody right like it's not good for the homophobe <laughs> to be homophobic, right? <laughs> like it's, it's not. It's not healthy for their like, body. Yeah, it's or it, like else. like from a therapeutic standpoint. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> to have that much discomfort over something. Oh yeah. Like yeah. It, it, and and I know that like the the stereotype is like that uh, if you're homophobic, you're. I I think it's. I think maybe a lot of people that are homophobic 
if they just accepted where they were on the Kenzie scale, <laughs> they'd be fine. <laughs> like, okay, I'm never going to suck a dick. <laughs> I just think, you know, buff dudes are kind of interesting to look at. <laughs> then you, 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 you deal with that, right? See, and that's the introduction of the gray that I'm talking about. The yeah. spectrum, yeah. you know, there, there's always a spectrum. Yeah. So, so how do you, as someone who's worked in this and, and, is legitimately invested in working with the youth and make get, like instead of just being like oh being a guy is bad you have to sort of build something new so you're trying to build something new that's the space that we're in let me like please enlighten me on what you see young men um what the struggles what the challenges for young men are going to be uh and 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 how do you see those like you know, those mm-hmm. issues of masculinity mm-hmm. uh, evolving. So you're completely correct. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult time to be a young, a young man. It's a very confusing time yes. as well. It's and confusing to be an old man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it was confusing as, as a young man myself, you know, yeah. growing up in the 80s and 90s. Um, not nearly as confusing as, as it is now. Mm-hmm. I couldn't articulate that it was confusing because I didn't really have the perspective or the tools. Yeah. But it was. Um, you know, what I dealt with was, um, again, to get more personal, I, 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 I was dealing with a family structure in which I had a very powerful uh, mother who sort of filled the room at all times. Yeah. And a more passive father who was the sensitive um kind of serene type. Mm -hmm. And, um, I learned a lot from him. A lot of good things came from that. You know, my artistic sensibility, my own sensitivity to other people. That's Um, interesting. I, my, my artistic sensitivity is from my mom's side, but ah, yeah, it comes from different places. So go on. Um, so, you know, I'm, I had to I had to deal with the fact that I didn't know how to be a powerful masculine presence, mm-hmm. especially um, it, among the feminine energy. Yeah, right. And um, whenever I attempted to do that, it felt as if I was uh, violating someone else uh-huh. or 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 pushing into their territory in a way that might be. Uh, Overly sexual or, um, uh, you know, overly masculine. Because it was framed that way. Not because you were... Not because I was that way. Yeah. But but because it was an extreme for me, right? And and because you're coming from a puritanical sort of place. Exactly. So anything gets lumped into these, like, violences. Yeah. I mean, every human being has to deal with this challenge of balancing power. Mm. Because... I think women as well as men have to know how to show up powerfully yes, and have to know how to defend what is important and, to them. And powerfully effectively. Exactly. You know, I don't mean uh, blowing up in anger yeah, yeah. out of no, a no, reaction, no, no. Yeah, yeah. you know, but like drawing boundaries yes. and being really clear. And that's really something that you only learn when you become an adult. It's true. Like, and like, and I'm talking like adult adult yeah like high up my hand is is is, is, <laughs> it's is, going. is gesturing up 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 up, 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 up. <laughs> like yeah 30s 40s if yes. you're lucky yeah right? 
Especially with family. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I could go for, on for days about yeah. that. But you know what? I, I've I've witnessed family structures that teach boundaries to children. When I was a nursery school teacher, motherfucker! Teach. I what? know that's god, what I said. I'm so jealous, you assholes! <laughs> you know, they're so lucky. You know to have to have uh, to have parents who are loving and support the kids, but also let them run wild when they, when they need to run wild, yeah. draw clear boundaries, let the kids themselves have clear boundaries, yeah. right? Because oftentimes when we talk about boundaries, we think that's only in the, in the wheelhouse of adults. Yes. Only adults get to have boundaries. Kids, they don't have any rights, you know, yeah. they don't get to choose, adults choose for them. But that's setting up a person for a really shitty life. Yeah. If they don't know how to set boundaries at, at a time they're gonna when... They're going to get fucked, They're going to get fucked. <laughs> exactly. As I can attest. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't mean literally, but... Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean... Oh, oh, fucked. Literally. Okay. Yeah, I'm catching up to you. There you go. I mean, it could, uh, be, it could be just as worse or, or... No, I've definitely gotten laid for my inability to set boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> it actually works that way, too. Oh. This just turned into a dating uh, podcast. <laughs> it's Javier's advice on no, it's it's having it's, no boundaries. It's, yeah, it's Javier's advice on who not to sleep with, <laughs> <laughs> or if you really need to get laid, how to do that. <laughs> yeah, or don't really need to get laid. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So you know, going back to the idea of what do what do men what do young men have to deal with and what what do men my age and older have to deal with right mm-hmm. now and it, it it really for me it comes down to finding the balance of of power yeah. in 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 relationship to other people in culture um and to oneself right and valid power right like valid like like uh, yes. like you know again Knowing you, I know what you mean, <laughs> and I want to cover for you, but you mean I, yeah. valid, like, power in terms of, like, feeling like you are a contributor in your relationships without uh, being steamrolled and, and, yes. and feeling feeling validated. I mean, everybody's got a right to be somewhat fulfilled, right? Yes, and, yeah. And, and uh, there is a power as someone who, like, is interested in people's inner workings, mm-hmm. as I know you are. Mm-hmm. There is a power to understanding and empathizing with people. Yes, and and that I think is a very strong power that isn't isn't necessarily growing up assigned as a masculine one, but it can be, right? Sure. And so it's very powerful. That's what that well, that's what we when we think of leaders we assign maybe the wrong or we like focus on maybe the wrong mm. traits and what what it makes a good leader i mean i have my problems with clinton <laughs> uh bill clinton but um what people responded to him was his ability to make you feel like he empathized with you right mm-hmm. and that's a horrible example example because he's kind of a predator. <laughs> <laughs> he used that to draw them in. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yes. Anyway. Well, I take that so, back. <laughs> I mean, let's use let's use Clinton as. Um, let's not. Let's. Uh, okay. 
Well, no, I do still want to. Sorry, okay, you put ahead. it out there, so it's right, it's right, fair right. game. It's fair game. I, you know, Clinton exemplifies a, a part of the dilemma that that existed for men, right? Mm-hmm. Because he he was someone who really empathized. He did appear to come across as a sensitive man who is sort of idyllic for the times, the terms that he he was president yeah. for, right? But he also. He he was also very sexually aggressive, as yes. we now know, and and so you know, there's always this. That, when I talk about the balance of power, like that's that's what I'm talking about. There's a fine line between showing up powerfully in one's professional life, mm-hmm. in one's relationships with men or women. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I have an opinion, and I and I say, well, I'm sorry, this is my opinion. I disagree with you. Yes, right. That's a perfectly valid thing to do. Often it's considered, unfortunately, a more masculine trait, right? Yes. To disagree with someone and, or, or yeah. to strongly and, state an opinion. And I think, and, and it's unfortunate that women don't get the space to, to, to speak out like that. But I think that that would be healthier yes. for society. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And what's great about this time right now is that I see it beginning to happen. Like women are getting angry. Yes. And that anger is and, necessary to and it's, fuel. And the anger is not being invalidated. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not being completely shut down. Well, I mean, it is being invalidated politically, but by a large swath of people. There's more, uh, there's there's more, more validation more, than there was in the past. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very complicated thing. Super. But yeah. But yeah. It, it, um, I think it's the first time that a lot of men are experiencing a sense of the sense are are getting a sense of the oppression mm-hmm. that women go mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah. And there's something special about what's happening right now that uh they're allowed to talk about it. Yes. And so that goes to that thing. Like if I have an opinion, that what you were just saying, if I have an opinion, I'm allowed to. And so it's a very powerful thing mm-hmm. to be allowed because. Mm-hmm. And that's and, a privilege. And that, no, that is actually, yeah. that is a privilege that they haven't enjoyed, right. especially about this topic right. until right now. And that's what's coming to a head. Mm. It's it, it, um, the inability of people to listen to it. And then there is sort of this resistance. That's why, that's why we have to be so careful. And I think because there are so many people reacting, like if we want to have a, a, a legitimate conversation of masculinity, of masculinity and what the future is for that, we can't run the risk of being lumped in with those people, the, the, the people, you know, the, right. uh, the ones right. that want Kavanaugh in because, because right. what, but I guess what you're advocating for is this idea that there is some validity to being authoritative, to being assertive. Yes. And, and we haven't, I think even men that aren't privileged haven't been taught to be assertive. Like, mm-hmm. right? For like, for example, the angry black man. Mm-hmm. That's not something you want to be called if you're a black man. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Angry white man, is there such a thing? <laughs> no. No, it's just white men. Not culturally. Yeah. So, so, 
so that's what Kavanaugh's being. He's just being a white man. He's not being an angry white man. His and his, he is. He has the privilege of being indignant. Yeah, and outraged and shutting it down over things that he did. Right. <laughs> to people. Right. <laughs> so you know this balance of power is. This is why it's important to me. Is that. The power and privilege that men have held for thousands and thousands of years has been um, has been abused yes. in countless ways. And the answer, however, even though it's been abused, is not to say we can't have any masculine power in the world. No, yeah. because we need we need that energy. We need that assertiveness. But I think that it's it might be a like, or I think that what I have an issue with is the idea of it being called a masculine. You, right. And, I don't and, mean and that I, only men yeah, yeah. are able to... Assertive. Let's call it assertive. Assertiveness. That's fair. And, yeah. and, and, and this is just what happens in therapy. What you, exactly. you, you find healthier words. So right, th- right, what we're right. doing is having a therapeutic discussion about how we're going to be men in the future. When, <laughs> yeah. When I say masculine, I don't mean that it's, yeah, it's, it's only within the realm of masculinity. Yeah, it's I, traditionally masculine. It, but the energy it, yeah, is yeah. masculine. Yeah, but I still In a traditional th- way. In a traditional way. I, th- right. I still think that we can start to attribute that to women because they're... I mean, yes. Because... How fucking assertive, and you, I know you agree with this, how assertive was Blasey Ford? Mm-hmm. She was super assertive. Mm-hmm. That is that energy. And to call it masculine, I think, um, in this uh, realm of thinking outside of our own boxes right. is, is, is probably good for us. And I mm-hmm. hadn't thought of that until we had this conversation. Yeah. So I'm not like taking the high ground. I'm yeah. just saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing what we're saying. You know, Carl Jung has these interesting ideas around... Um, the mass, the masculine and feminine existing in all yeah, of human beings. But he's problematic because he did demise Briggs. Of course, <laughs> of course, he's very problematic. But he was also a revolutionary of his time, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I get you. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. But I'm just saying. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, I think not I, PC. There's a lot of issues there, but 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 you know and. I guess, like, I don't... The the idea of PC even in itself is like, you know... Anyway, it, 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 it's like, no, man, you really should be talking right <laughs> to, like, label it as, like, PC. Anyway, I know that that's not what you're saying. That's why I was like... Oh, are you saying, going back to your earlier statement, that language is really important? Yes. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I don't mean... I don't mean to shit on. I know that when someone says PC these days, it often is a is it's a dismissive, neg- yeah. negative, negative, dismissive. You know, yeah, I know you don't mean it that way. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't mean it that way. But um, so so obviously, there's an element that I think that you're putting forth, which is the idea of how we need to look at, like, I think that there is. Maybe even more so than now, uh, or th- than before, right? I think there was a time where life was coming at you a lot faster, and you had to figure out what the fuck you were gonna do uh, a lot earlier. Like in your twenties, you were getting married and whatnot. Now, with now, now, like there is an expansion of privilege, right? Somewhat. Um, 
where things are becoming demonetized, standards of living may not be like people are not necessarily making as much enough money to keep up with up with inflation, but life is longer. Uh, and I think that as life becomes longer, we're starting to address with the distance that we feel from our childhood. Also, childhood is essentially a, um, a 20th century invention, right? Before that, everybody worked. <laughs> and you didn't have a concept of childhood. However traumatic that must have been for people. <laughs> it was a very different experience. Yeah. And so, so now, you know... Now we're going to this hyper-industrialization where labor is no longer essential. Um, and Or what we, what we thought of as labor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, that's a good point because, because I think that there is – maybe there are going to be more companies like you as uh, automation comes and universal basic income comes <laughs> and people try to find meaning out of life, right? So, so the idea – so I think that what – you're essentially tying together without us like dealing with all these problematic bombs is like that the experience of being a person and even the idea of being a man is changing and and what what it what defines manhood is changing not just in um societal ways but in economic ways where the idea of even becoming a provider is no longer uh, a viable a, and 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 a path that you can foresee yourself taking, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. there is a whole generation of men whose fathers have an idea of, and, and it's transitional right now because all these millennials are getting a lot of shit, but they're they have no jobs because their parents fucked the world up, right? In terms of like, um, not to get too political, but neoliberal policies. NAFTA shit like that like that's where I get have my issues outside of uh Clinton being a bit of a rapist uh, <laughs> that's another good t-shirt a, a bit of a rapist a bit of a rapist <laughs> can you be just a spot of racist <laughs> no I mean a uh, rapist not racist <laughs> but both of those are problematic just a little bit <laughs> well I mean Super predators and all that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> a bit of a racist as well. Uh, <laughs> you know what we what we continually are pointing to in this conversation is the complexity of being alive in this yeah. day and age, and especially the complexity of coming into one's own ego identity uh, as a young man or a young woman. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I mean, truth be told, it's. Probably just as complicated to be a woman right now. Absolutely, and, <laughs> absolutely. Because if I was five years old and I was watching and I was watching my mom process this Kavanaugh shit, I don't know how I'd feel about that. You know, right? I don't. I don't know how to deal with that. No, they, they, you don't have will, the tools. There will be a, probably a lot of people that remember this experience um, in a very visceral way. Mm-hmm. That and, and maybe not even have literal memories about it, but just have this yeah. feeling sense. Yeah. Of of their mothers or fathers dealing with it. And just being really fucking sad about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, because, I mean, that I felt, the sadness. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, so tying in that thing of, like, like, I would say, um, if you, 
have advice for people or, or like, you mean not to give your job away for free, (laughs) but if you have something that you would like to, to give people that they, I mean, you know, a sense of like how to approach this on a day to day basis, obviously there's, there's a lot of different places they can go if they want to go the Julia Margaret Cameron route. That is very helpful. I think, I think most people that w- could approach that book or that that don't make art, if they approach that book and try to do the program, because it is a program. It's like a weekly program. You have it's a self help book, like legit, um, and we endorse that because mm-hmm. helping yourself is very good. <laughs> <laughs> you just said we. Oh no! Uh, I I speak of uh, what's my thesis in the royal. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, but I just wanted to like check your privilege over there. <laughs> no, 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 no! You're not part of this. This is my thing. <laughs> oh, I'm not, huh? No, you're. <laughs> Even though I'm in this chair right now. Okay, I see how this works. But um, yeah, like uh, take care of yourself, <laughs> definitely. But like. I, you definitely think about this more than the average person does. So how how would you approach sort of coming to terms with that past? And I think that there might actually be something to um, getting beyond the things that you're hung up on and maybe remembering the things that you used to have a fun doing. Like, it's mm. so easy to just play the regrets and maybe remember that those regrets are playing out, not yeah. because there's anything wrong with you mechanically, but because you're, you, it's the flight or flight thing where you are, um, you are remembering things that were traumatic so as to protect yourself from them again, but then it becomes a dwelling, right? It becomes a lifestyle. Yeah. And and it, 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 it hinders someone's, someone's life. Yeah. And life force. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really big question. And, um, I mean, it's big enough that you can make an industry out of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I plan to, um, Oh, and I believe that you can, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're in a really good market, <laughs> especially in Los Angeles, right? Mm. This is, this is the only city I think where I think a lot of people are going to be selling their be crystals, play coming consultants. To you. Yeah. Crystals. There you go. <laughs> They're going to be like, I don't need all these crystals. I need to actually just learn how to play. <laughs> <laughs> and what not happens that, after crystals. <laughs> yeah. You're actually something that can help you <laughs> if uh if julia margaret cameron's book is any indication right i think there's something valid to figuring out what you're missing out of life in the 90s that was the, your inner child <laughs> yeah it, it became a household term yeah right but it, there's something to it there it, is it, yeah. and i i hesitate to use that within the business structure of play mountain no i mean why would you <laughs> it, well, and there's truth to it because there is there is an essence of everyone's childhood that is well, more authentic and true than most adults are able to act, right? Yeah, and that's still inside of you because it's part of your experience. But, yes. And I think, I actually think, I mean, I think that essentially that's what the the artist's way is about. It's about, there is there there are two voices inside your head. One is the voice of opportunity and options and, and potential. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the sensor. 
And the sensor is the one that, and so like she, she breaks it down in terms of your artist self and, and your, um, your sensor. And so what, one of the things that they recommend in that book or that she recommends in that book is to take your artist self out on dates, you know? And so, which the, I love. Yeah. So, so I think that there is a lot of that, um, same sort of structuring, which is, but you know, if someone's not an artist, they're not necessarily going to be like, oh, the artist way is going to fix me. You know, mm-hmm. like Climb Pay Mountain is the place to go, you know, <laughs> and I can afford it. <laughs> or can you? <laughs> no, I can't. Okay. <laughs> but I'm saying some people, you know, and, and like, and, and dealing with that malaise is important because maybe that person's going to be inspired to use their money better than they're using it now mm-hmm. outside of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, you know, one of the fundamental beliefs that we have as a company is that if a, if a person is able to tap into that original play type or mm-hmm. play types that they operated in as children and then distill it down and figure out a way to integrate that more deeply into their adult life, particularly into their work, yeah. their life can be radically transformed. And that's sort of that, uh, I think it was the boys, uh, uh, Joseph Boys, who was like, yeah, everybody is an artist if they, mm-hmm. and I'm sure other people have said it too, but um, right, he's just the biggest name. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, also, <laughs> right. it's also the connection between um, art, making, creativity, and play. Yeah. Right? And, and, and well, creativity is, I mean, like... The the thing that I think of like so I still have Legos and sometimes I'll bust them out if I'm stuck. Oh, I love you know? Javier. Yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, I'll that's show exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah, is that there the there are these ways of kind of reigniting the flow. Yeah, right? the flow of life, and that's the flow totally of play. legitimate. You yes. know, and 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 then to feel that. And, and, and look, I'll, I'll draw a parallel. I still have issues with my guitar. I love playing it, but there are periods where there is the issue with play and maybe I'll enlighten you on something here. Let's see if I can be this ambitious. I'm ready. (laughs) The issue with play is that there needs to be enough stagnation for boredom, right? You need to be still enough. You need to take the time mm. to, to like, let's say like even an hour, but not an hour every month, like an hour every week. And being still like that, being present, taking the time to just like, I'm going to let my imagination run wild. The first thing comes, com- that comes up when you have that stillness is anxiety all the negative thoughts. And so yes. before you can play, you have to sort of cons- you confront that, right? And so that's one of the things. I've been playing guitar like fucking crazy. You know, I've been playing it so much that I just invested in all these components to make seven more pedals. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and I already have way more pedals than I need. They're over there. <laughs> I see them. <laughs> and I have like upwards of 10 and maybe six of those I made myself. Uh, but I did that because I couldn't be still enough to play the guitar. And I needed something to like 
get me back into guitar because to just straight up start playing guitar and be that still was a confrontation of feelings. And and then I finally slowly built up and and got to the point where now now I'm like actually playing daily and getting you know a lot more technically skilled than I've ever been but to be that still to just sit there and not listen to a podcast mm-hmm. not listen to music not li- not watch a TV show to just sit in silence and be present is fucking terrifying and I guarantee to you that 90% of the problems with the clients that you have is that like that's probably the first hurdle they have to confront mm-hmm. of all the like if especially if you've got a business and you're trying to run it or if you've got a job and you have a family and all of that shit your life is continually going and you don't have the time to just sort of check in with yourself and be like how am i feeling am i even having fun are half of these things that i'm doing really rewarding or do i just do them because i'm supposed to do them and because i've committed to doing them you know so so it's an interesting business model that you have and i'm sure you'll be very successful as like fulfillment becomes less and less in life <laughs> <laughs> i love i love the way you're describing this um it, you know you're kind of touching on the heart of play mm-hmm. um and and i know a lot about playing I can tell, which I'm so glad. I'm so glad when I moved we're having to, this conversation. When I moved to the U.S., mm-hmm. um, my dad literally asked the schools that we were trying to get me into, uh, um, in private schools, and he, he was asking them like, "Hey, so my son is really concerned with." Playtime, which is what they called recess in in the UK, uh-huh. <laughs> and so like, he knew how important that shit was to me. So I am a player, and I don't crush a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, the I think the heart of play really comes down to being in the present moment. Yeah, and um, there's a there's a theorist who I gravitated to really early in my mid-20s, mm. kind of as I was getting into Cal Arts, I, I discovered this guy. His name is Brian Masumi. Okay. And he's a, he's a Canadian um, cultural Masumi theorist. Masumi is a Canadian? What's that? <laughs> Masumi is a Canadian? Masumi is a Canadian, I, yeah. Is he of Asian background? He's, uh, from what I can tell, very white. Um, okay, Masumi, so I don't, like how the fuck does I, Masumi happen? I th- maybe he has some Japanese, I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it's a very Japanese name. Um, but... He, he talks about the ways in which uh, we engage with hope versus optimism mm-hmm. and how we push against boundaries in life. And um, he, he's really concerned with uh, separating hope from optimism, separating hope from future conceptions of utopia, mm-hmm. and just thinking about hope as the next action step for what we can do in this present moment. That's interesting because uh, one of the themes is utopian societies are essentially fascist on this show. So please go on. <laughs> He's really, That's a good separation. I, I approve. No, it's, it's good. Um, he He's really pragmatic in that way as well. It's uh-huh. like just observing what's happening in the moment and, and what we can do, mm-hmm. right? A lot of, a lot of where I come from is that 
because of enculturation, because of family indoctrination and how to be in the world. By the way, I've never heard the word enculturation, and I love it. Go ahead. I don't know if it's a real word, but let's roll with it. I think I, I, that's why I brought it up. Okay. But it's you know a good what? word if it's not. Enculturation is a word on this show from now on. Go let's ahead. just say <laughs> that historically we have created a new term right okay. here, right now. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Go ahead. Great. So, so because of how humans are raised, right? Humans have one of the longest periods of rearing for infants and, yeah. ch- and uh, children, uh, in their lifespans than any other uh, animal, yeah. any other mammal, and, and which is kind of incredible to think about. And you're talking percentage-wise. I'm talking percentage-wise. Yeah, yeah, like so, percentage of their life that they're being reared. Yeah. Exactly. And also length of time. Yeah. I think there's a few animals that uh, have really long lifespans that actually uh, the, the quote-unquote rearing or weaning lasts longer mm-hmm. than humans, but... Um, I think the ratio for humans is the highest okay. of all of all animals. Um, someone Google that and let me know if that's true or not. Yeah, um, you'll get it, a lot. It's of definitely spam. up there. It's definitely really, really high compared to ninety nine percent of other animals, mm-hmm. right? And a big part of that is that we obviously we continue to pass down biological information, right, mm-hmm. through DNA. Yeah, um, but. The way to be in the world is so complex, and we have this tool of language to communicate how to be in the world that we have evolved as a species to a point where we essentially communicate much of how to be in the world through language yeah, and body language, right? A mm-hmm. lot of it is um, unconscious and uh, non-smoke, non-spoken. Mm-hmm. You know, a child can tell when a parent is uh, dissatisfied with their behavior, even yeah. if they point it out or not, yeah, right? Yeah. They, they can pick it up. Um, so, so humans are, they're taught in ways that go beyond um, just the biological, instinctual. Yeah, th- there's the body language element. Right. There's a body language and there's the, there's a little literal language, right? Our, our cerebral cortexes have developed to a point where we can um, process things, uh, quote unquote, logically. Mm-hmm. And um, we use language to communicate and to, to um, kind of send historical data down the generations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is... From what we can tell, the first time that this has happened in the history of the earth, right? Human, humans able, a, a, being able to pass on knowledge. Genetically. Mm, well. Or, or no, oh, through language. Through okay. language. Okay, sorry. Like historical, historical ideas. Like, you know, th- this connects tribally to, um, it's connects to tribal societies in the way. Uh, That's interesting because I'm always so overwhelmed by how easily information is lost but now that you frame it like that i'm like oh that's why information is so easily lost because no one else does that (laughs) yes yeah yeah Yeah, exactly yeah you know in 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 simple terms it was uh storytelling yeah right that got passed down and the knowledge of of the plants that heal and the plants we can eat Mm -hmm. and how to hunt and you know, all of these things that, that existed when we functioned as, as tribal societies. And now, obviously, because of the complexity of the world, 
the the complexity of how to be a human being has really yeah. evolved and how to communicate that is super yeah. difficult, right? And and mostly unconscious, really. Yeah. Mostly unconscious. Because of the the length of time it takes to raise a human. Yes. And because of the way that we uh, convey that information, it's it's less biological and instinctual, and it's more about you know uh, either unconscious body language and or uh, conscious language. Uh-huh. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Like, you can't run into the street, which is a really important thing to know, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it also can go to don't touch your penis. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, it really means I'm uncomfortable with you touching your penis right now, right? Yeah. And, and all I can say is stop doing that. Right? Yeah. Instead Which, of explaining in detail, like, exactly. hey, so like people will get uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this could be awkward in certain situations. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Not you're making me uncomfortable, but like you might make the world uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I so as a nursery school teacher, um, I I I was often in charge of what we called rest, which was the younger kids lying down, and I would read uh, stories to them, and, and only really really good books. Right, I became a I became a children's book. Curator. Curator. <laughs> Aficionado, snob, whatever you want to call it. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's it called? If you give a mouse a cookie, is garbage. Oh, yes. <laughs> Bullshit. Snowy day, however, <laughs> that's a good piece of literature. Um, so anyways, I would read books to them and they would rest. Sometimes they'd fall asleep. And uh, there was one child who would... Um, she would essentially, before she fell asleep, she would hump her pillow. Oh, that's yeah. uncomfortable for it, me. <laughs> y- yeah, I, I understand why it would be uncomfortable. I, it, it was uncomfortable for me, and I just let it happen. Well, from her standpoint, it's sort of natural, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I think if... I think what makes it uncomfortable is that I'm not family, but I think in a family setting... It, and it, that was like, very much the context. Yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 like, that's something that, like, the adults would kind of go be like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is masturbating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. they're learning about sex, you know. Right. But it might actually make it weird if you fucking intervene and you're like, like, if the other kids don't know what's happening. And that, that, was, that was the balance, right? Yeah. Because it really does come down to... Okay, I don't want to create any ripples in this child's psyche around yeah, sexuality. You don't want to shame her for liking the I, high heels. I don't like want to shame her. Ed Kemper. Exactly. <laughs> don't want to shame. Ed Kemper was a serial killer for I, people that don't like yeah. true crime. <laughs> there you go. Look him up, damn it. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't want to shame. And yet, if it was starting to disturb the community, yes, I get right, that. then it's another level, and then I have to then I have to address it as a you, teacher. Yeah, you address it and and, and without shaming, exactly, because because uh, yeah, that, that then that does make sexuality weird if you do if you're like you're being you're you're a fucking creep for humping your pillow. It's like right. uh, no, no you're discovering all. something, but it's maybe not the right place to discover it. 
Totally, totally. Yeah. And and how to convey that in a loving, compassionate way? Compassionate, yeah. Is the struggle that all thoughtful parents have to go through. Yeah. And and caregivers and teachers and whoever's conscious of this, right? Because the reaction is, "Oh, don't do that. Stop. Stop. Yeah. That's not okay." Right? And that communicates something to the child. But they're reacting to them almost like they're reacting to an adult that's doing something inappropriate rather mm. than that, that understands right. what feedback they're getting. Yes. Like it's like, it's almost like the assumption in the way that that's being conveyed is mm-hmm. like, you should know better. It was like, I'm a kid. I don't know anything. Exactly. <laughs> I just know that when I touch here, it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's more about sensation than it is about it, what's right and wrong. Yeah. And, and I think that the parent's standpoint or the adult standpoint is coming from more of a, uh, their own hangups about it, you know, and and their own Very uh, true. their own discomfort about yes. being around a child that's experiencing something sexual, yes. which is a legitimate thing to feel uncomfortable about. Yeah, you know, yeah. but there's a way to temper that reaction, is what it's what I'm hearing. That exactly true. That's more beneficial to the kid mm-hmm. and less about you being creeped out. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, like I said, the typical reaction of stop doing that. Don't do that is more about the adult reaction of being uncomfortable. Like yeah. I don't want to experience what's happening right now. Yeah. And usually I think the, the stance is that, uh, negative feedback is help, more helpful when there's a basis for it. Like when there's an explanation for it and right, right then, if you're like, don't do that, there's no reason <laughs> all you're feeling, all, there's no reason. And you're feeling the discomfort. Yes. Uh, yes. So then there's also shame, even if it's not like yeah. outward shame. And yeah. the, the child just absorbs all of that. Yeah. Right? They just soak it in. And then 20 years, 30 years later, they're in therapy and they're like, Oh my God, I used to hump my pillow when I was at rest at Oakland Nursery School and the teacher told me to stop it, the motherfucker. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's crazy how, like, and the, and those are, you know, those are the things that, uh, that was just a habit. <laughs> I'm picking up the phone. <laughs> that was like, for a, uh, those of you I don't who can't to, see, I picked Javier up the phone, looked I looked at, at, the phone. F- at, at the face, I saw the time, and then I realized I didn't need to know what time it was. <laughs> yeah, time is, is an illusion at this point, right? But yeah, so, so yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of social, social norms and hangups. I wonder, it would be interesting. To, to look back on historically, like, how many of those things have evolved where it was, like, okay to tell a kid this thing, but then we realize, like, oh, yeah, maybe it's not so good because you make serial killers by burning their... Um, their high heel shoes that they were wearing. <laughs> you know, and then they get so turned on by it oh, that they have to murder people. <laughs> damn. It, the taboo, right? The taboo is so yeah. seductive. Yeah. There's actually a lot of, uh, in, there's a lot of, uh, research slash history of bad advice coming from psychologists. Oh, that uh. is, 
is fascinating. I want to do a whole episode on that. Yes. <laughs> Not even just child development, just like archaic. Like, you, I don't know why that word has been so fucking prevalent in my language today. Anybody that listens to the show knows that today that word just came archaic. up. <laughs> that should be the title. Archaic. archaic. Colon. Archaic. Colon. Zach Klein talks about play. I don't know what else. And masculinity. Oh, I know that you don't know how I titled them now. Just I from that. I have no idea. Okay, shit. You're, You're actually just... going to have to help me come up with the title for it. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, you know, so going back to the psychologist and, and the bad advice, there were, I don't have references, I don't have names because I try to block this out of my memory, but there was a movement in psychology that happened mid 20th century, kind of around um, the. Uh, before World War II and going into World War II, mm-hmm. where... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about any of the psychology from that time period. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. Oh, dude. So th- this <laughs> they guy, believed in barbed wire? <laughs> <laughs> barbed wire. That was the and cribs. only barbed wire. <laughs> barbed wire was the cribs. They so, thought that was going to yeah, well, make they were, real not, men out of the They're not the going to climb those and jump out. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. No, so... So the psychologist, actually, it's very similar to barbed wire, which oh, is interesting. Okay. The psychologist was saying, do not, it's it's bad for the child to love them and to oh, tell yeah. you that they love, that you love them, to hug them, to show affection, right? All of these things that we now know is complete bonkers. Children that, need touch. They need to hear that they're loved, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the, that's one of those things that has been cyclical in history too, because yes. because I think in the seventies that was kind of the <laughs> oh, yeah. the prevailing. Right. It was the backlash from the sixties, yeah, like, where they were like, love. "Fuck love." Oh yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. But I mean, people have had some shitty ideas yeah. in the world, yeah. in the history of ideas, right? And I'm sure I have a few of them myself. I know that's what I was just gonna say. I was like, it, it's so funny what ideas that I hold yes. that to and believe in are going to be considered quaint. <laughs> oh, it's, it's almost cringeworthy. Yeah. You know? And I'd like to think that I have the humility. Well, I'll, t- I'll straight up say like, you know, I have I, I have a lot of gratitude to give to culture, yeah. to educating me on, uh, uh, on trans issues yeah. because I did not, I, it's just, if you don't come across that, it, it, mm. You know, in Miami, <laughs> for know, instance, yeah, for instance, like you don't know how to how, like what that experience is like. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I there are there is a gratitude that I have towards a lot of culture, like culture um, can be horrible sometimes. And right now we're kind of going through a, 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 a a sort of correction where the two different sides are being like, this is what's right and this was what's not right. And I kind of feel like the politicians are really trying to be relevant, but they're not at mm. all relevant in the actual dialogue. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and like all of that shit is happening outside of that. Like it's just happening on, on a very interpersonal level. And like, Oh wow! These motherfuckers are so out of date. Let's at least be nice to each other, kind of thing. <laughs> um, it's interesting. It, it it makes me think a lot of um, before we went anything like this. I would like talk to my parents about the civil rights movement, and that 
is an interesting, you know, similar, there's some parallels there between like the tone deafness of the leaders mm-hmm. and the, the actuality of what was happening in culture. Mm-hmm. And the, the two sides of it were there too, right? Like mm-hmm. there's the equally vocal sides of like the haters and the people that want acceptance. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's some uh, comfort to take in history, you know. Comfort in, in that this is a pattern that we see again and again. Yeah, and that and that uh, we shall overcome kind of thing. You yeah. know, like... Yeah. like uh, I think no matter what happens with Kavanaugh, whether he gets elected or... Or, or what, not elected, but whether he gets confirmed or not... Um, there's going to be some very intense cultural things happening in response yep. to that. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, he's got 30 years in there in the court. So unfortunately, the backlash to that isn't going to prevail. But, and it's probably going to lose steam. But overall, the sense of outrage is just growing, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and, and I have a lot of hope for the future in that sense. Yeah. Um, if we don't, if global warming doesn't kill us all, that's a that's a big caveat there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you had asked earlier the question: um, how does how does a person incorporate play into yeah. their lives? Like for me, oh. just tell me how to do it. Okay. Because um, I want to do it more. Great. I'd, I'd so be happy to do that. Um, <laughs> Didn't you tell me I had to pay you a lot of money? Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a few tidbits that will tease you, and then okay. you'll have and to pay I'll me have lots to, of money. Okay. Um, so the, the, the thing I want to stress before I talk about how to incorporate play is that education, as we sort of touched on earlier, is, is one of the big factors for tamping down the yeah. playful spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, everything that, not everything, most of what we learned in school is coming from a tradition that is outdated and uh, needs reform. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say that because a lot of this um, archaeological dig into one's play history mm-hmm. involves letting go and releasing the quote-unquote blocks that were established by authority. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, a, you know, it's hard to do that because authority at the time of age 5 until 18 is often the, the, the God figure, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's... Well... In our, in our generation, in our definitely, gen- yes, for sure. In our generation. And that, I mean... That seems to be like diluting a little bit more and more, mm-hmm. but yeah, there was definitely the divine right of kings, <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah. slowly trickling off from that. But yeah, right, and just like the change of uh, of of rights for women, mm. of uh, of equal rights for minorities, right? As slow as it is, yeah, there's movement, yeah, and I see the same thing um, around shedding the the residue and the baggage of, of a, a shitty educational system yeah, uh, and, and, and coming into 
hopefully, uh, an educational system that serves the human creature in the technologi- technologically uh, overwhelming 21st century. So where do you see that happening, though? Is that That's not the public sector. It, it's not, unfortunately. unfortunately but right? hopefully it'll lead the way. Yeah. I mean, I, I see education changing um, first and foremost in the private yeah. sector with private education. Right. Uh, and it's it's the elite, mm-hmm. unfortunately, or fortunately. I don't know. I mean, someone has to begin. Yeah. Right. But it is the elite and it is the the upper crust, the people who have money, who are able to pay for private education and able to um, establish a different type of system and a different type of patterns yeah. into their children. Um, and, you know, hopefully actually i don't think it's hopefully i think at some point it's going to trickle down mm-hmm. and it's going to become um more of a a, a standard in, in public education this this dynamic model of learning this mm. this group um uh group contribution where it's not about one person memorizing and getting grades it's about working on a team yeah. and everyone contributing to the greater now, good how what kind of training is involved in in that to become a teacher like that though right to teach in that kind of (sighs) that 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 would take yeah i mean i don't like i don't want to be pushing back too hard on you because you're my homie but i i mean like like you are acknowledging this does seem to be a uh do you see this realistically becoming adopted because i mean um these things do permeate culture, obviously, yes, yes. and and these approaches. So, is that something that you can see? You can realistically see as happening uh, that that it becomes adopted, because obviously, I think these school, like public schools, tend to be more efficient and more pragmatic, right? In utilitarian, in ter- utilitarian, and and, and but as society moves away from the industrial model. Uh, um, there needs to be some kind of reaction to that in mm-hmm. the public sector. So it mm-hmm. does make sense that, I mean, parents are always going to be asking for stuff, mm-hmm. right? Asking for more, mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. matter what their privilege level is. So right, right. there is going to be always that push. There's some kind of movement. Yeah, some yeah. kind of movement in general. I think one of two things is going to happen through education. I think... Um, either it's slowly going to transform <clears throat> with the elite private institutions leading uh, the pack mm-hmm. in terms of experimentation and, and what education looks like, mm-hmm. and then slowly that trickling down into the public sector. Yeah. Or uh, the whole system has to collapse, yeah. uh, either due to... Uh, global warming crisis or uh, nuclear issues with North North Korea, I mean, whatever it is, right? Mm. I, I I really sense as a sensitive person, and I hope I'm wrong, that we're approaching some sort of um, climax, some sort of point like of a critical no return. Mass, yeah. yeah, where, um, okay, if... There's a tipping point, you know, Malcolm uh-huh. Gladwell and uh, enough, enough people understand what's going on. And it's like, OK, we're, we're sliding down the hill at this yeah. point. Right. 
and, and maybe fear takes over and maybe there's massive destruction to culture. And I hate talking about this and I hate thinking about this because I don't want that to happen. Uh-huh. And yet it may be what's necessary to obliterate what exists now in order to build a new foundation upon yeah. which hopefully human beings can thrive. So you feel like the educational system could collapse on its own without society collapsing is sort of what I'm hearing. It, no, like like I in actually, the traditional sense? Or? I think the entire... If there's a collapse, I think it has to be okay. the entire system. So so you think that maybe the whole system will collapse? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's not I far-fetched. I hope I'm wrong. No, that's not far-fetched. But it's... I mean, but it it's you know it's, it's within the realm of possibility it's what we're all resigned to <laughs> yeah yeah you know maybe, either either that or there is gradual change or maybe there's a whole new generation of people that'll be like hey you apathetic fuckers that would <laughs> this be amazing. is our world you're gonna die right that would be amazing you know yeah. and in some regards that that's already happening yeah the only problem is that those people don't hold power yet no right so as as the old fogies begin to die who are holding on to an old guard, a way of being, then perhaps yeah, and, change and, can be accelerated. And somehow. then it's also true that all those old fogies, they may be in power, but they're not the ones who are parents anymore. So uh, so they yeah. have to contend with the whole generation of parents that are now right. that have entirely different ideas than people in the 70s. Yes. <laughs> about thank God. what it's like. Yeah, At least in God. California. A fucking man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so 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 you're hopeful. And and I and I, I can see and there is legitimacy. I think that one of the things that when people get hopeless forget is the generational element and the cyclical nature of history, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. we have hit a cl- critical mass right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and there's a lot of horrible shit going on, but at the same time, um, we're all going to process this whole thing with Kavanaugh. And regardless of the result, like, just like we processed the fact that Trump was elected and we've had a cultural reaction to it that has been very healthy uh, for society. Mm-hmm. You know, like power doesn't always power doesn't always lead the way. It actually usually doesn't, and it usually catches up. So that's what I'm hearing from you that that educationally, power may not get it, but eventually there will be a push because there is really nothing more intense than the power of parents protecting their kids, and they will fucking yes. fight no matter how poor yes. they are. That you biological know. pull is so yeah. powerful. No, and 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 I would bet on parents over uh, oligarchs. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting if the energy of parents protecting their kids is what transformed the planet and uh, culture? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can also be kind of obnoxious and snooty. Absolutely. <laughs> As well, people who have no. worked in the oh, child dude. child care industry. Oh, yeah. don't remind me. I, you know, it, it, it calls back to those ideas that we're talking about between, uh, you know, one of the foundational ideals for my life is that balance between comfort and risk. Yeah. And, you know, there's parents, they're called helicopter parents mm-hmm. in some circles, who are operating out of fear and operating out of, I, I can't let anything happen to my baby, yeah. right? And 
truth be told, psychologically, that is more damaging yeah. than letting a child run wild. Yeah, and having their own experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's either multiple dangers or you're the danger. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's setting up a child for the expectation that the world is dangerous, that they have to act in a certain way, yeah. that they have to follow a prescribed method for being safe and for being comfortable in the world, yeah. right? Which, I Which mean, we can't it, measure that. Well, and also, if uh, you know the world is any indication right now... <laughs> you can't contend for uh, outside variables. That's right. Like you can be raised really well and get fucked. So <laughs> we can cut down from like 30 minutes of me apologizing for what we're saying. You <laughs> <laughs> can trim that a little. Yeah, it could be maybe be like 20 minutes. Five. <laughs> right, right, right. It could be tw- only 20 minutes of apologizing. <laughs> Next on What's Your Thesis? <laughs> so, Zach, is it Zachariah? Zachary. Zachary. Is one more um, religious than the other? More biblical? You know, yeah, Zachariah is, um, that's the figure from the Bible who was a tax, I think he was a tax collector and Jesus was preaching and he was so interested. He was a short man, apparently. Mm. Um, no, no connection there, of course. Um, and he wanted to hear Jesus. So he climbed a a sycamore tree is the, is the legend from the Bible. And, um, Jesus said, come down, come down from that tree. And, uh, host me and my disciples, something like that, and and he did, and there's a story behind it. And Zachary, Zachary, is just a dude. I mean, it comes from Zachariah. Okay, so it's I've a heard that the, that the Hebrew term means Jehovah will remember. Okay, Jehovah is the biblical one of the biblical names for the Old Testament biblical names for God. Okay, God will remember. I don't know what that means. You got to come back to talk about the Bible. I think I should. Oh, that you're already booked. I can't wait to fucking do oh, that. Oh, dude, we will, we will rock the shit out of the Bible. We will tear that shit up. Yeah, we will. <laughs> we will tear that motherfucker up only because I wanted to be the first person to refer to the Bible as the that motherfucker. <laughs> I feel like we're starting a lot of trends on this show. Do you see how I said we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so is it okay if I uh, just tell people how to reach me if yeah, they're interested? Yeah. Well, hold on. Yeah. Stop there. I will. Hey, Zach, so do you have anything you want to plug? I do, in fact. (laughs) Yes, thank you for asking, Javi. I didn't want you to have to be the... Because that makes me look like a bad host. (laughs) Uh, You narcissistic bitch. No, I didn't realize that you were ready to wrap up at that point. Well, I'm not, actually, but it sounds like you are. No, we probably should. Okay, fair enough. Make a note, audience, that it's Javier who's wrapping up. Yes, yes. But I've already booked you for another episode. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so where can people reach you at? So probably the best way is just via email. This is my personal email. It's Z-K-L-E-Y-N at gmail.com. It's my first initial last name. I have a weird last name. It's Dutch. Again, Z-K-L-E-Y-N 
at gmail.com. You're sitting in front of a guy whose name is Proenza. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm preaching to the choir, Klein, aren't I? Klein. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wanted just to plug Play Mountain. It's a company where, uh, as a passion of mine, we are attempting to uh, transform adult lives relationship to play. Okay. And we're, we're attempting to create more freedom, openness, and possibility in, in adults through play. And sometimes that ends in creating structures. Sometimes that's just a consulting service. But if you're interested, if you just want to have a conversation with me, you should definitely email me. I love the idea of a company that teaches you that that helps you be more childlike so yeah that's exactly what we do <laughs> so and and zach is is the kind of guy that can help you do that <laughs> i'll give him that <laughs> thank you that's the biggest compliment anyone's ever told me <laughs> well i didn't bring you here to flatter you so oh, we gotta end right there <laughs> okay cut it thanks Javi. had a great time no i did too man uh, thank you for doing all the work. <laughs> that's my that's my sign off now. <laughs> my pleasure. All right. <laughs>